0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. If you don't know what this podcast is about, I strongly encourage you to go and check out episode zero as that gives a lot of details that I would probably forget to put in an intro before each episode. So I used to do that in previous episodes and now I'm leaning more towards just the organic approach of just beginning the conversations with our guests. Today I have 29-year-old Thomas Calgrove. He was diagnosed with genital HSV. Did you get type 2? yeah yeah. all right so genital hsv2 um i'm just gonna go ahead and let him go into the story so thomas can you just let me know when you were diagnosed what was going on around that time and your experience with the doctor and then i'll be able to go from there
1: yeah um i was i was a severe drug addict for 10 years on methamphetamine and heroin and we're talking about you know, upwards of three, $400 worth of drugs a day, digested, and then, I mean, that's just an everyday habit. And then if I didn't have it, of course, I was the walking dead. So just the 10 years leading up to that point, uh, it was just, you know, mayhem. And then, of course, those drugs perverted my sexual activity and just about any other activity in, in my life. So eventually it just took over. Took control. I was homeless several times. Never really went to rehab. Didn't go to jail too many times. I was, I mean, pretty smart with it, but mainly just because I wanted to keep getting high. So I was really secretive and really, really chill about who I who I associated with. From there, the last time I went, got home, was homeless. My my best friend committed suicide by overdose. Then my stepdad died, and I kind of just lost control. I quit my job when I just moved into an apartment, and I just started doing more and more drugs, and I almost lost my mind. Honestly, uh, I was going into that like that that threshold of, um, you know, paranoid schizophrenia type, just really losing my mind at that point. And I finally called my sister up, and I was like, "Hey, I need to come home." I uh, went to jail for stealing some food, and. Uh, I, my mind was so much gone at that point that the cops were actually trying to pay for the food because they felt bad for me. And uh, But it ended up, there was an electronic in there too. So they're like, oh, you're going to jail, dude. And I was like, okay, well, um, good run anyway. But it, So I called my sister after I got out of jail and I went to stay with her here in Topeka, Kansas. I was in Manhattan, Kansas at the time. Um, staying with her for a while and I've been noticing some type of outbreaks. Right. But I, you know, the common American, uh, sexually uneducated, um, I didn't know what they were. And anytime I looked up anything on Google, it was like crazy, you know, stuff all over people's faces or this or that or whatever. So, um, I kind of just avoided going and getting tested or going to the clinic. And it wasn't until, like I say, uh, it was actually my birthday. Um, we were watching cops my mom came over my sister bought me some cupcakes and we were watching an episode of cops and a female cop was searching somebody and stuck herself with a needle and I guess she had just had a kid and she was like oh my god I'm just so glad that my baby's out of me right now that's all I'm concerned I don't care what happens to me I'm just glad my baby's out of me and at the end of the episode the cop was like you know it's not I understand that people have problems with drugs and it's a disease and it takes over and it affects people's lives the problem is is that people go out there, do these behaviors, and then they bring these diseases home to their families, and they don't even know. And it was at that moment that I decided to go get tested. I was like, all right, I'm not going to – I don't know what I have. I don't want to hurt these kids. I'm taking a shower in the same place as these kids. And so I went and got tested. And a couple weeks later, I got a call, and they said that I was – diagnosed with genital herpes too so the doctor's office experience was a small local clinic they gave me a pamphlet like a little cheap three-page brochure that basically explained what an outbreak was what it looked like which is of course we already know that because that's why we went to the doctor in the first place and then they just told me to wear a condom take the medicine and make sure and tell people before having sex for me like I teared up a little bit when I first was in there talking to him about it because I thought I wasn't going to be able to have kids. So that was my main concern. And they gave me a little bit and I was like, no, you should be able to have kids and this and that. But it was that day also that I quit doing drugs. And then it kind of broke me for that day. I cried a little bit and I was upset. but then the next day I was enrolled in college. So something I often say when I talk to other people who are newly diagnosed is that my diagnosis saved my life because I could have gotten something worse or, you know, there's all kinds like hepatitis, there's AIDS, there's HIV, there's syphilis, there's so many other things that could have happened. And not to say that one's worse than the other, but basically that is one of the first things that happened to me that I couldn't. Put on to somebody else. I couldn't say, oh, well, it's their fault or, oh, this or that or the other. And so it was the first time in my life that I actually took responsibility for myself. And then as a result, I quit doing drugs
0: and, and got sober. Man, that's heavy. Um First off, congratulations to you. Second off, how long have you been sober?
1: Uh, it's going on five years now. When I'm
0: 30, it'll be five years. Oh, oh so you were diagnosed five years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All it's right. Because when you said, you said it was my birthday, and I'm thinking, damn, I thought you'd been diagnosed for a while. I'm thinking, like, your most recent birthday. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was It was uh, uh, my 25th birthday. Like I say I was at my sister's house, and I went the next day. So the day after my birthday, I went to the clinic. They took the, the culture, and then a week or two later, they called me back and confirmed it. Yeah. So, so between your time of being tested and your time of receiving your diagnosis, what were your behaviors then? Were you still in the same headspace you were?
1: Well, I, there was there was a lot of change going on in my mind, I, I, and I had gotten a job at the golf course that my stepdad was working at, so that really helped me out. And I was already of a mind of like, hey, I really need to quit doing speed but I was still doing it, you know? And I quit doing heroin mainly because I I couldn't, no longer had the connections to get what I liked. So I just did speed. Um, But from there it it, it was like, I I knew that like change was coming and I knew like, I just had thoughts in my head. Like every time I smoked a cigarette, it was like, if you keep doing this, you're going to die from it. Like, and and every time I did drugs, it was like, this is going to kill you, you know, or this is going to put you in prison. And so I knew that change was coming. I just didn't quite know what to think about it. And I knew that I was just coming from a place where, like I said, I literally almost lost my mind. Like um, if, if I were to have gone to a doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they would have said I was paranoid schizophrenic. And I don't necessarily think I was there. I just think that my mind was wide open to some other stuff. And, and it was just – It was just one of those things, but like I said, back to that transition period, that in-between period of going in and getting tested, and I felt good after I got tested. Like, I had a a sense of relief, but when I went there, they were like, well, we're not sure what it is, you know, because the outbreak had almost gone away, and and I think they are supposed to say that, because they don't want to, like, say, oh, yeah, that's this, when it might not be, so, but like I said, I just, I, I felt change was coming, I just didn't quite know what it was
0: yeah and And, 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 uh, so what i was going to ask you was about the first step being you reaching out to your sister and just trying to get some sort of help and stability
1: yeah that was actually before i got diagnosed or gotten tested that was when like i had just lost everything and i was homeless again and i knew like hey um i've got to do something you know and so i called reached out to her and it was my um is that what you're
0: asking me like or were you thinking that? No, no, I'm I, I'm, I'm just pinpointing the I want to stress the importance of you first having the courage to reach out to any kind of support system. You realize that hey, I'm fucking up. I need to do something different. And that was when you reached out to your sister and then being there was something that you just happened to be watching cops and you're like, Oh, you know, I care about the people I'm around. So I don't want to be bringing home diseases based on my behavior in accordance to what's happening in this episode of cops. So let me go and get checked because of the people who are around me, who I care about right now.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, the people that are around me, were around me at the time, are like, you know, uh, if I had to pick somebody to, to, to be in the safety boat with me and everything else was going down, those were the people that were around me. And they were also the people that had always been there for me. And so once that kind of revelation of like, hey, you can hurt the people around you with your behavior, sexual behavior, drug users behavior, that had kind of never occurred to me before. I was never an, an intravenous user um and and i never i had sexual perversions but never like criminal or bad or hurting people i just was like a freak or whatever with the girl that i was with you know and i was never really promiscuous so i never really it never came to me to my mind that oh i could hurt somebody with my behavior but it was at that moment and then noticing the outbreaks and then being around the people that i cared about uh, that's that was the biggest thing I, i think if i was alone perhaps i probably wouldn't even have cared uh, or it would have just been doing drugs instead of watching TV with my family on my birthday. So it never that, that expansion of consciousness that you go over, that, that just moment of clarity and, and compassionate moment to where it's like not just the moment of clarity, but the moment of clarity when you're in the physical presence of the people that you love and care about is important to, to keep your mind open. And then be around your support system when you are met. Like it's don't isolate yourself for sure.
0: Mm, I like that. I like that. um, What we're talking about here is just reaching out to connecting to a support system. And I've always had this feeling that we are capable of much more when we're doing things for other people, oftentimes more so than ourselves. So if you look at people when they say, uh, let's say someone's sick in the hospital. And you're like, Oh, I'm praying for you. Like I'm my thoughts and prayers to you, but we don't do that for ourselves. Like when we're sick in the hospital or if we're going through anything, our strength is more so we like, we divert our attention on what's real, what's in front of us, what's out there. And we often neglect ourselves. So we will wish well for others and do what we can for others and their wellness over the wellness and overall well being of ourselves.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and a point I would like to add to that—that that great observation—is that a lot of times, instead of encouraging ourselves or um, loving ourselves, or, or like you said, just giving our strength and hope to ourselves, what we're doing is we're, we're focusing more on our fear, and we're giving our strength to our fear. So it's like, you know, when I first started noticing these outbreaks, I was like, "Fuck," you know. But at the same time, it wasn't—I didn't have enough
2: care or an inclination to you know i was just like scared instead of
1: like saying hey you need to go do the right thing you need to call your people you need to go get tested all these things you instead of doing that i was just focusing more on the fear and then that cycle ended up taking me back to drugs
0: yeah that's what's crazy because if someone had came to you and been like man i I think i'm having something going on my junk you'd be like hey man why don't you you need to go to the doctor take care of yourself let your partners know we'll do that so quickly for others but then like you said just feeding into the fear for ourselves we just uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wait this out maybe it'll go away right
1: yeah it's it's crazy like I, I just it's great and, and one and another point is that I, and a lot of that I believe is, is the detachment you know it, it's not when we're when our friend comes up to us and says hey this is happening to me it's not us you know we don't have that intimate and personal connection with it so but at the same time we really we really
0: just have to uh, the support system is important to, to get you, put you around people that care about you and, and, and just don't isolate yourself. Mhm. Yeah. Now, when you were coming into this space, did you ever go into any 12-step programs or rehab, or was it just you started spending more time with your family? Well, it was that, the spending more time with my family that got me to get
1: the help and the treatment, right, and the opportunity to be sober and to have a place to stay and to heal and like detox and all that stuff. I never went to rehab or a twelve step program, and and like I said, that it was the diagnosis that that kind of propelled me forward. I was like, hey, you know, I use for whatever reason somehow it just I was able to use it as a ability or a tool to just launch me forward out of uh,
0: drug usage and poor behavior and so I use that as a uh, as leverage as, as, a, as an asset rather than a, than a um, liability or, or a pain or a harm or, or a tragedy. So you sort of just trampolined off of it like it helps you bounce into a space that yeah. you probably wouldn't have been able to get to as soon had it not been for this diagnosis.
1: At, or at all, even honestly, like like I say, that my diagnosis saved my life because if, like like I said, if, if that wouldn't have happened at that moment of ultimately what it really was is me taking responsibility for my actions and uh-huh. for my life and for my outcomes, that's really what it was. Like at that moment, I was like, hey, this is my life and I'm creating my life. And that's not to say that, you know, fault. Notice I didn't say fault or deserved or anything like that. It's just like, hey, this is my life and I'm creating it. It's And and instead of having that mentality of it's raining on me,
0: I realized that, hey, it was just raining. And if you want to not get wet, then have enough sense to get in and out of the rain. Yeah. Now, moving through, moving forward after your diagnosis, you said that you enrolled in school, Um, I imagine that this was you beginning to assess things and, quote, unquote, get your life together. Can you tell me about the early stages in that and what that looked like coming off of being addicted to drugs, being homeless, locked up? You were a thief. You had to steal food. Like talk to me about the transition from that lifestyle to suddenly herpes diagnosis. And now I'm enrolling in school. I'm getting my life together.
1: Yeah, it, it was a, a tough, it was, it was a, I don't like
0: to use the word tough, it was a
2: challenge. It was a big change. Yeah, it was a change. It was a change because it was 180 degrees and, and, and like, you know, I used to be back when I first started my, you know, criminal career, it was, I used to be the guy, you know, I had the
1: good drugs and I had a lot of heroin and, and I, you know, in this natural where and back then you didn't, and find that stuff in Kansas so it's like I was the guy and then it slowly it took control and then like what you said it started happening you know where now I'm having to steal food I, I got everything I had with drugs and I had to do everything I uh, got away for drugs traded it back so what happened when I got diagnosis the air kind of cleared in a way after like the one day of depression I I was sleeping at my mom on my mom's couch and I just slept for the rest of the day and then I woke up the next morning and it, Relieved, honestly, I I was so relieved because I finally knew what was wrong. Uh, And that's a big thing about diagnosis. It isn't this; it's to reveal that which is hidden or unknown. And if you go back in ancient language, too, to heal is to reveal. So, in a sense, diagnosis is healing. It's it's you're you're revealing. Um, what, what is wrong? Once I got diagnosed, I, I had that moment of just like relief and so much stress came off of me, so much weight, guilt, regret, all those things. I was able to just kind of let it go for a moment and I was able to come back into contact with myself and through that authentic time with myself where I'm really looking like, what do I really want to do? And, and the first thing I wanted to do in my mind was like, I wanted to help people with diseases. And so I enrolled in college for business management.
0: Oh yeah. Business is a disease. <laughs> and, well, yeah. And, and, yeah. But what I wanted to do was create a site for people to meet, which they already had that. I just hadn't done any research at the time. I was just thinking. Yeah. I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and so positive singles is out there and everything like that.
1: There's a lot of stuff out there, but I ended up going to college, and it, really, what it was, is a way for me to work. Um, there's, you know, three real ways to find purpose in life, and that's work or a task. It's to love someone or something or suffering, and usually it takes a combination of all three of those things, and and at least that's what Victor. Frankel says in his book what's it called Man's Search for Meaning and he's a Holocaust survivor psychologist and all this and that but essentially looking back on it the suffering helped me find some sort of purpose like hey I have a group of people I want to help now And, and I have something that I want to try and do with my life and I went to school for business and then through that process of just kind of rushing into things I finally figured it out what it is that i wanted to do and now i'm in the public health arena uh and i'm going for public health administration my goal is to work for the cdc to help change the policy surrounding stds and prevention and sexual education and all those things surrounding these issues man you
0: want to talk about a 180 for real that's awesome man that's really awesome um Do you have a strategy for it? Like, you want to get in, let's say you get in with the CDC, you get the role in administration. Like, how do you plan to make changes to things that, to us, are just so blatant and obvious, but to the powers that be, there is a reason that there hasn't been any of the obvious changes. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you say that because, you know, the powers that be, they're so... Um, full of just, it's you've got a lot of people
1: and they want to do good things and but there's just so much administration behind it and there's so much politics surrounding it, so much number crunching like finances and this and that and the actual system that they have is so big that they forget to think about what's on our minds or the people who are infected or or, or hurting from this and that is living the American dream. And what I mean by that is their own lives. They are all for having the, the prevention and the education, things like that. But really at the end of the day, what's on the end of your and I's mind is way over here in the corner about our own lives. What happens after? It's like, okay, I have a disease now and I've gotten all the treatment, whether it be HSV or HIV or syphilis, whatever the case may be, but now what happens? And then how do I communicate it with the people that I'm around every day? How do I navigate the social systems that we exist within? And I think that the biggest strategy that I would put into the policy is, is helping people after the fact, after at the end of the disease acquisition process, not just before and during in medical treatment, but the psychosocial aspect of, okay, how do we communicate this? How do we first accept it ourselves? And then how do we communicate it? And then how do we still generate that quality of life that everybody's looking for as a result of either living with a disease or moving past it being healed? Because regardless of the fact, whether you have a disease that goes away or if you have one that stays, you still got a disease. That fear is still in you. It's like, you know, you, you, Thing, you think about things differently. Even if your behavior doesn't change, I, I was talking to my doctor the other day, and we were talking about this disease acquisition process, and, and he said, you know, I've treated some 16, 17-year-old kids for this for chlamydia four or five times now. And he just, and I had to bring it to attention. Well, we've got to remember that just because their behavior is a certain way, that doesn't necessarily reflect how they feel or what they're thinking. And so... They're most likely terrified and a lot of times that kind of sexual behavior is learned. So I think that a lot of it comes down to helping people after they get the disease, putting processes in place, especially for people right after they get a disease, like support groups, just like you would for cancer. There was a time when cancer was stigmatized like STDs are now. Back in the 40s, 30s, when somebody in your family got cancer, you would like hush it up. You wouldn't talk about it. You never mentioned it in public and you never saw cancer
0: walk.
1: That's unheard of. Everybody's doing cancer walks, fundraisers, GoFundMes, this and that. That's where we need to get when it comes to sexual diseases and addiction as well. And for that matter, even mental illness is already getting there. Uh, Drug addiction is getting there. But sexual diseases are the most stigmatized out there. And so, but in order to fix that stigma and to, to change it, What we have to do is we have to work with the people who have it now and teach them how to communicate it better and accept it better. And then as a result of that accepting and better communication, then they're going to be more apt to go public and to advocate and to become involved in those walks and those vital advocacy movements that are needed, just like with the HIV, just like with the cancer, just like with everything else that is going to start getting it more mainstream and, and more
0: acceptable yeah that's that's a great plan great plan first of all and being able to get in connection with the people who hold the power to make change and have the means of doing things like for me my goal is to give people access to the resources that helped me move through my diagnosis i want them to get it faster it took me five years before i found any online dating sites communities support groups all of that stuff it took me five years i cannot imagine someone who had maybe in like a poor mental health state or emotional state or anything like that, like looking for something and it not being there. Because that, too, is a sense of rejection because you're looking for something and you're not able to find it and you don't know it's out there. But there's also this sense of relief and acceptance when you come in and you are to look for something or not know that this is what you're looking for and then come across it. So people, let's say you get on a dating site and then you happen to make a friend like and that friend links you to this whole world of potential support that's out there and all these extra resources that are available to you. But we just don't have that. And I think that starting with the CDC, going into these public health organizations, this is a place where we need to have them able to extend the resources for afterwards. You mentioned those uh, kids that come in 16, 17 years old, they're being treated and diagnosed with the same STDs over and over. The after part comes in where we say, okay, it's not just take this medication for the next three days and don't have sex. Like, we have to look at the people part of this, which is, okay they're going home and maybe they cheated on a significant other and they don't want that person to know so they're not going to not have sex with them for the full time or maybe they won't say hey i'm on this medication i can't have sex for however many days or maybe they don't finish the full cycle maybe the symptoms are gone and this is these are people reinfecting themselves so what frustrates me about this is that the numbers being presented for our high STI rates are not telling the real story and that's an example of this story is reinfections how many people are we counting two three four times where are we when are we going to point at the sex education system and say hey we have to be able to do a better job like even Uh, The St. Louis County Department of Public Health, what happens when they see people multiple times, they have them sit through some sort of a sexual health seminar. And I have not I don't know exactly what's entailed there, but I think that that's one way to go about it and with the right information with trustworthy consistent and accurate information i think that we can be in a place where we can mitigate eliminate some of those small behaviors that create situations where there are reinfections and there's just the misinformation of like you know thinking you're cured and then going off and passing it on or you're not you're showing symptoms but you're not telling your partners you're showing symptoms and they're you know we we have to be able to utilize the resources that we have available to the best of our ability before we try and continue to just create new things and say this is what needs to happen this is what needs to happen like let's take what we have here and see what's working well and adjust on what our weaknesses are together i agree completely i really do i think the
1: one thing i want to add too is that Anybody listening to this, there there are, and like you said, the St. Louis Health Department, the Kansas City Metro Area Health Department, which is something I just recently got involved in, the community, planning committee, that that committee that really basically organizes all of this stuff, like what happens in your community for prevention and, and maintenance and, and community advocacy and education and prevention and all these things. Most places, there's a way that maybe you might not be able to be a committee member but you can at least be a gallery member and and you can actually have a voice you can't necessarily vote but you can present or you can pass along an idea or give a resource or say hey this is what i think we should do or what i think should be done and and then as a result of that your voice you never know where that could lead and and how you could work with the committees and and maybe even provide a resource yourself and even get funded there's uh, so there's a lot of places you can go in and become that gallery member, become that committee member. And even if you don't go all the time, it, just to go see what's going on and and to put your foot in the door and on the court where the action is is, is very, very important. And as a result of that, you'll also be able to network with all the local uh, nonprofits that are also providing resources in your community. So, again, you can see what's going on like you were just talking about. And if you do have ideas, then you can contribute those ideas and – Hopefully, those ideas will then be used to, to, to further heal and connect the community. So, it is possible for everybody to be involved in that. There's, there's in every health department, especially in the city area, city limits, uh, there, there are opportunities to go in there and say, hey, what's the community planning committee for sexual education and disease prevention here? And they'll give
0: you the dates. So. I think a lot of people believe that in order to get involved with creating any sort of a social change that you have to be directly affected. So if you are someone who wants to get involved in advocacy, you don't have to get as specific as herpes. You don't have to get as specific as STDs. You don't have to go into it like sexual health. You can begin at the sex education piece. That is a common ground for that is all-encompassing for all of this. So that would look like if you're a parent talk to your school administrators about better sexual health education. Yeah, it starts at home so you can talk to your children, but we can talk to the people in our household and then they have a whole world that they have to go out to and receiving conflicting information you're kind of left to just it, it's a gamble. It's a gamble, it's a toss up of what's going to be absorbed and what's going to be kept in. So Know that you don't have to have your status be out there. You don't have to even be public about what you're doing. You can get involved behind the scenes and just get in, get into a place where you want ideas heard if you have them. If you want some accountability or some sort of change to occur, uh, there's no reason we should have, in 2019 at least, when information is so accessible and we are more connected than we ever have been in any time of history that we should have s- someone repeatedly being infected with the same SCI having to be treated multiple times and that's just an, a lack of resources it's a lack of education and there's again just a narrative behind it that we absolutely have to be able to tell the story of so that we can really begin to reveal and then heal that too
1: is that um, you, just like you said, you don't have to be pu- go public. You don't have to be positive for any STD or uh, cancer or anything else to get involved. And another great thing about it is that you as being a community member or I as being a community member or anybody else who decides to get involved, we are able to do things that the administration and bureaucracy is not. But the administration and bureaucracy is able to facilitate opportunities for us to do those things that we would not otherwise, that would not otherwise be available to us. So, for example, uh, I joined the local com- community planning committee in my local area, Kansas City metro area, and they have HIV groups that they just recently started to where people who are just tested. And positive are coming there to try and, you know, because it's just like when you get a heart attack from heart disease or something like that. The first month after your first heart attack or any heart attack, the doctors really, really watch you. They even send people to your house, all these different things, because they know that you're known about of depression, after, especially in that first month after a heart attack. It's the same with the disease. Like, those first month or two are crucial. And it's also a crucial. You're setting the paradigm. So, the the social circle that you surround yourself with, the activities that you do, the behaviors that you uh, partake in in that first month or two after diagnosis are really going to be your habitual default. To where if you started drinking after diagnosis, then, you know, anytime you get upset about being diagnosed, you're most likely going to drink. If you, whatever the behavior is, if you get upset and argue with your family, you're probably going to get upset and argue with people when you get upset when you start thinking about your diagnosis. So, if you if we can start to put people right right when they get diagnosed into a place where their 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 paradigm surrounding that issue, surrounding the diagnosis, is a positive one and a reinforcing one, and one that teaches them how to accept and to communicate it properly, then you're really paving the way for that quality of life that we're looking for afterwards. And that's what everybody's after. It's not uh, you know, honestly, a lot of people they don't care as much even about their health as they do their social standing. Or their ability to interact in a social environment. Yeah. Or they would rather they would rather look good than be healthy. Or you've got people all the time that when they're able to get resources for let's say having HIV. When they're asked if they have HIV, they say no because of the stigma. So they don't get the housing voucher. They don't get the furniture voucher. They still have to ride the bus or even be homeless. All these things because they would rather look good. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're on a phone around a bunch of other people, and they have no way to be private. And so they don't want to say it in front of a bunch of other people. So that's that's the importance of just really teaching people to accept it and to be able to communicate. It's not that you run around. tell everybody at the top of your, your lungs. But when it's vital, when it's necessary, you should be able to say it without that brick in your stomach, that lump in your throat, and those tears in your eyes. And so as a community member, we are able to do things like, for example, the support group. It would take like three to four months for an administration or even a nonprofit organization to really set that up. But as a, and they would have to follow all these crazy different types of rules. But as a community member, you can do it however you want. And they will facilitate it for you and, and even maybe like get you a place to do it and all those things. But because, see, so there's, that, there's a way for the community administration to really work together that is very powerful. And it opens up doors that really haven't been opened before.
0: All right, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like community members are essentially just allies So here's the context in which I say that. So um, let's use the LGBTQIA community, for example. Um, what you just demonstrated, and people you know, not having privacy to talk about their truth of speaking about, okay, you know, this is my condition so that they can get the benefits of, uh, that are offered to them. Let's say we're dealing with someone who might be closeted, someone who may identify as someone who may be in a male presenting body who identifies as female, as a woman, and they're not wanting to talk about this to the people around them they're not wanting to talk about their therapist or anything but there are allies if a loved one knows them or if a community member who advocates for equal rights that person's gonna be able to say hey y'all there's a support group for trans women who may be closeted and feel like they don't have support uh contact me for details And them, that person who has absolutely no ties to the community, they're detached from it, they're not, you know, let's say it's a presenting woman who's a cisgendered woman, and now all of a sudden everyone in that range of hearing or who follows them on social media sees that they're able to bring together more people than myself who i i have herpes and i'm able to say hey if you want a support group like come hit me up like this is how i'm going about it or someone who's more secretive about it and let's say they want to remain anonymous on an instagram page for example like they're not able to have the same kind of impact as an ally community member that's what i was getting at
1: yeah because the ally community member is also going to have the support of Administration, where and and and, and the, I think everybody has a voice and can say like it's 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 just a matter of facilitating a connect like a group voice like hey let's all get on board let's let what if every what if what if what if let's just let's you what if one out of every four members of the community one out of every four people you looked at had a list of the top 10 resources for the top 10 public health issues opioid crisis hiv std prevention cancer uh L- i can't say that acronym
0: L- lgbtqia yeah I, I with all other respect i can't say it and then uh,
1: all the other stuff you know like whatever else you can think of and one out of every four p- person had uh, let's say a link on their cell phone Uh, Suicide prevention, Uh, you know, alcohol is not like, and to where, you know, at any moment, if they heard some of their friends talk about, oh, my cousin's having this issue and we just don't know what to do. But we're not talking about just the regular, like, Salvation Army, homeless shelter type stuff. We're talking about localized, culturalized, like, significantly connected with culture in the community. Like, this is not a, a national Salvation Army group this is a national or a, a community based Kansas City group that understands the city and knows the culture there and that has backing from other cultural leaders so and, and community leaders and then same with the St. Louis or Chicago or Philadelphia, Atlanta, LA, all these places. So what if one out of every four people had a in your community had a community specific list? of five or 10 resources that really encompassed all the main public health issues. I think that is something that, it, 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 and that's the potential if you get involved with your local health department, if you get involved with the administration on, on that level, then that, the potential becomes that to where one out of every four people, and then, and then once you have that list, it gives you some type, sense of purpose and sense of responsibility as well. So, you know, if you overhear something, it, it now gives you a resource to provide people. Now, instead of just saying, oh, man, that really sucks, it's like, oh, that that's crazy, but – Man, I was just at this meeting the other day and got this list of stuff. And I really think that it's interesting because it's not the homeless shelter or the battered women's shelter. This is like a local group, and these girls go there to meet, or these guys go there to meet, or these trans women, trans men go there to meet and learn all these things, you know, or or disease positive, whatever the case may be. And so it's coming from a community, like, it's different. You know, it's a different transaction that I don't think is is as prominent now. as like, oh, we'll call the battered woman shelter or call the clinic, go get tested. You know, what if instead of before you went and got tested, you went to one of these groups and talked to people who were experienced with it and got to tell them your story. And then the clinic is also like a block down the road or down the hall. So you're able to then like be embraced, understand, like tell your story, and then have support when you go get tested, like have an advocate there with you. When you go get tested, so if we just kind of reverse that process of like, hey, instead of getting all of these resources after, have them readily available before and have them coming from community members, not necessarily the police department or the local clinic, like have it coming from another person like you is very important. So I think that we all have that voice and we all have, in a sense, not, I hate to say the word responsibility or obligation, but we all have that ability.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'll be, the, <clears throat> I'll be the first to say, in doing this podcast, I will say that I've created sort of a web of connection across the world of people who are 100% willing to do that. Um, I spoke with a younger Hispanic male, um, and he just wouldn't open up to me. And I asked him a few questions and then just asked, you know, hey, I think, you know, would it be more... Uh, would you be more willing to open up to another Hispanic male? And so I talked to one older Hispanic male who's around my age about his experience and asked him, "Hey, would you be willing to talk to this younger guy?" And I connected those two, and they had way more connection, and they were able to communicate in a way, and they both speak English, obviously. But the the being able to with someone who looks like you and can elaborate on what you're going through and has similar background values family values belief systems that was able to help that young man so much more efficiently than i was able to because there's just certain values that that haven't really been instilled in me that he has that he speaks from that we're just not able to connect on and it's the same thing for uh me talking to women like if some young lady who's diagnosed needs a mentor i had someone who was underage reach out to me and ask me i just got diagnosed with herpes and as i go to respond she tells me how old she is and i'm like whoa i cannot give you any kind of like sex advice so i had to connect her to an older woman just in hopes that this could foster a big sister relationship so it's not a matter of uh, anyone really having to go out of their way and advocate for being a community member and put a big ass c on their chest for community member it's a matter of allowing yourself to be available and being able to really set aside that time invest the energy into being able to do something like all right if uh, someone contacts something positive for positive people and they talk about that they think they might have been exposed to something all right where are you located how old are you Um, are you open to connecting with this person and I can create some sort of a outline profile this person's gonna talk with you go with you to get tested and whenever you get your results this will be someone you can talk to as their experience relates to you so right now all I have right now is just being able to be a friend to people. I don't have any sort of certifications, qualifications, education that's in public health or mental health or anything like that. But what I can do is point people to podcast episodes of people who might be going through a similar situation as they are. Or if there's someone who contacts me and says, you know, I was Uh, having suicide ideation, and I really contemplated cutting myself. I'm struggling right now. All I have is a, a podcast episode to point them to. There is nothing more powerful than the human connection. To have someone in front of you be present with you, yeah, the doctors are there to give you your diagnosis and treat what you have in front of them, but nothing is going to trump human presence. And taking it back to an episode that I did where... Um, the Trek coalition is a nonprofit organization that treats the indigenous people around the Ecuador area, the women for their HPV screenings, Uh, they provide HPV screenings and treatment. And one of the medical providers, uh, met with an older woman who came in just for treatment and she was met with one of the medical professionals to get treatment and get the paperwork filled out and everything and by the end of the interaction she was treated but there was something that there was something else that was there another doctor came in and spoke a little bit better uh what i forget the language but She spoke the language more fluent than the person who provided her treatment and they began talking and by the end of it their the medical provider gave the lady a hug and just was like hey i i get it i see you and that's all the lady really wanted yes she got her condition treated but she was just talking about how you know she needed a hug she's lonely and her family's gone like that human connection piece is often what's missing because an STI diagnosis or any medical condition diagnosis is such a transactional thing. Hey, I'm here for this. Oh, you're here for this. Here's what you need and go on about your way. So just like you said, having readily available community members, people who are willing to get involved, like we have to be able to create the space for that and make it available. And there are so many different things that are in the works that if everyone were to kind of just shift their alignment, just a smidge, we, can have an entire network of what you just mentioned that one out of every four people having this app on their phone where it talks about the different kinds of resources according to the top 10 epidemics suicide sexual assault domestic abuse sci diagnosis resources for aids and so forth so we we this conversation is great because it does start that kind of conversation and i think that you having your experience in the public health profession this makes it a lot more real because it's not me just having ideas and throwing them out there we're now at a place where you're telling us a tangible potential solution and now it's a matter of just taking the next steps to do that so you just inspired me to continue to harass the shit out of the st louis county department of public health (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that we can get things going like I we've done a podcast together and I've sent a few emails about collaborating again and like that's been it so after this like I'm gonna I'm gonna send them shit I might even send them this episode before I edit it like hey listen to me <laughs>
1: yeah definitely and, and, and honestly I would like to really just congratulate and acknowledge you more so than congratulate acknowledge what you're doing because it's needed and these types of conversations are what the committee's and the policymakers need to hear it's not necessarily uh, all about data and charts and numbers and uh, ratios and formulas. Okay, it's it. There's there's a huge gap from the policy and community problem to the personal problem. And what we're trying to do and what we're talking about here is we're talking about bridging that gap of like, okay, we understand that what you guys. Administration are doing is what makes anything possible because you're you're the foundation, the fund, the funding, the, the the connections, the facilitation. But what we're trying to do is we're just trying to make just like you say, just turn that dial a little bit to the left, get out ahead of it just a little bit, and put that human connection in front of the problem, and have that support system be there in front of the problem. And and um, I would definitely go in there and get into the even just be a gallery member. And talk and talk about you know the same things that we're talking about or just bring up ideas and and I definitely like you say encourage anybody who's willing to just go do that and be part of that to go at least just attend one gallery me- meeting a year just to see what's out there what's going on because those committees there's usually a prevention uh, education uh, finance community advocacy and then an executive meeting committee board. Um, But even if you're not a member of the committee, you can network with those advocacy committee members and the finance committee members, and you can get together with them and say, hey, here's my idea, and pass it on to them, and then that's how it would get funded. That's how you could get a grant. That's how you could find out the volunteer organizations to partner with and work with who already have grants and funding and who are looking for somebody to facilitate areas that they don't know. They don't know what they, you know, a lot of these, so it's, it's just all a matter of being available. Like you say, it really is. And it's so needed and it's so, it's not hard. A couple hours a month for, you know, maybe for you, Courtney, of course, would be more because you're advocating here, but for, let's say just somebody like who's been a victim of uh, sexual assault, to dedicate two hours a month is going to, for one, make them feel better about themselves and help them to uh, get over their past experience because they're going to be using that past experience like we talked about with Viktor Frankl. uh, One of the three core ways to to find purpose in life is suffering, work, or love of another person or thing. So you're kind of molding all three of those together to really have a purposeful two hours a month, you know, and, and that really helps you to get over things and to climb mountains and to accomplish things and to really have those intimate transformational connections with people that are going to ultimately fuel your
0: quality of life. And so if that's, it's just so powerful. And that's really what I'm just so happy that you invited me on this podcast to have this conversation with you. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And, um, there was one more thing. Actually, there were a few more things that I wanted to make sure to touch on, given what the direction of the conversation and where it's gone. But it's been so fucking amazing to have had it go the direction that it's gone because this is useful man when i first met you like there was this enthusiasm about you i was like oh shit this is someone who's really excited entering this space who's gonna offer support and then burn out really quickly and now after having spoken with you like i feel really really good about what it is that you're doing i feel really good about this podcast episode i feel good about the future in this space um another thing is just because we don't have any of this type of mentality here uh, and what i mean by that is just masculine presence there's not a lot of masculine presence in this space and when i say that i mean you know if you google herpes or you google you find a herpes activist or someone talking about their herpes you don't see men you see mostly cisgendered white women um and that's it like that's what we have and there's not much of the masculine identifying type strategy implementation in place, like a lot of it is driven from a place of empathy and compassion, which is awesome, but guided with direction and strategy, I think that that's where we're going to not necessarily get rid of stigma. What it's gonna do is equip the people who have to face stigma with the tools they need in order to do so. This brings me back to my question, okay, I was going to ask you or just even mention, you may agree with this, but any stigmatized condition or life situation creates a, a behavioral response, and I believe it should be considered a mental health issue. Like, if we were to look at herpes as a mental health issue because herpes is a joke, it's uncomfortable, you shouldn't have sex when you have it, nobody wants it. You look at it that way, it's, it's easy to just dismiss. You take medication and the pain goes away. That's not the case. We're talking about behavior change as a result of stigma. So, I may isolate myself. And that seems to go hand in hand with depression i may experience a loss of control um the survey that i've done that i'm going to be presenting at std engage talks about six percent of the podcast listeners who at some point attempted suicide and that's a survey of 110 people you know so what's to keep who's to say this being a physical manifestation of an illness doesn't have enough of a mind fuck to it to where it should be treated as a mental health condition because now we're taking mental health so much more seriously, it seems, and it's not as stigmatized as it was. I think that's what will have to happen in order for herpes and other STIs to not be stigmatized anymore when we're able to link the behaviors with the stigma in response to the positive diagnosis. I I definitely see see the connection and, and see
1: where the point that you're making of the behavioral change as a result of a societal, basically, uh, basically what's happening is, is as a result, our behavior is changing as a lowered, lowering of societal, uh, what would you say? Like, you know, we've just been lowered a little bit because we have a sexually transmitted disease. So we're no longer, let's say middle class, you know, we're no longer upper class, or even if we are in those, spine, it, it's like, we've, in societally, we've, we've been marked down. And we have to be careful with mental health because we don't want it to be, we don't want it to just continue on with, oh, we'll give them a advance a or a, a, a Valium and the pain goes away mentally. So we don't want to trade one, you know, uh, the
2: pain goes away with a pill for another, the pain goes away with a pill. Uh-huh. It's just for a little bit, just for a little bit of a social fluctuation. What I believe is, is that it's a people problem, right?
1: It's we now are separate, set aside. There's a, a lower community. they're one out of every six, you know? So it's like we're, we're put into this little bubble, but ultimately a people problem comes down to a communication problem. And it's not that it's necessarily, it's a problem. It's, it's that we don't know how to effectively communicate the disease. That's where the issue comes, because if, think about if if in our language, if in our own language, it didn't bother us to say, or it didn't bother us if somebody didn't like it. If we can get to that point as a group of HSV members, like if if our HSV community can get to that point, then slowly but surely, just like with cancer or with anything else, that at one time was stigmatized heavily and eventually broke free, it was the people who had it, who eventually was like, you know, I don't care. I don't care anymore. Whatever, you know, it's not that they, and maybe they went and advocated for it or marched to do all these aggressive advocacy campaigns and things like that. I'm not saying that's not necessary if you really want to end the stigma, but I believe personally that it is a communication issue. And if we can learn how to communicate it amongst each other and with our communities better, then the stigma is slowly but surely gonna go away because we're slowly but surely gonna get more confident and then all these myths and things about it are going to be debunked. And as just like with cancer or with anything else, um, it we can take a lot from that history and just really start to see, oh well, that's crazy how, you know, in the forties it nobody talked. it was the same way as the STI is today. Mm-hmm. It really was. And so I it it has mental health implications
0: But we really want to be careful on we don't just want to trade it for another pill. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that explanation. That that definitely helped because I can see that happening where now we're just pumping more mental health, quote unquote, issues into the mental health community. And now the way that we get treated for something is creating more of a network of alternative things that also need some sort of treatment. But you hit the nail on the head when you talked about this being a people thing. We need presence, we need people. And I view community as common unity. And when we're able to bring that together, like when we're able to commune in unity, that allows for us to create this communication among one another that can essentially make stigma irrelevant so we don't want to end or beat or defeat whatever the stigma what we want to do is give people the presence the people the community that they need in order to just navigate it accordingly. And that's where I'm at with this right now. Like I, I, like I said, I wanna get people the support resources that they need sooner. And how sooner can you get than before you need them? So what your idea was, it was beautiful. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, investigating that more myself as I go forward with something positive for positive people and the connections and collaborations that I make. So thank you so much, Thomas. Now, I just want to ask you to just close us out with something positive and let us know what you've learned from your experience.
1: All right. I, positivity wise, do whatever you have to do if you have to cry it out, if you have to find a church or a community organization, if you have to call your mother for a week in a row and just cry with her or whatever you have to do, do whatever you have to do to where first thing you want to be able to do is you want to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I have herpes without that funny feeling in your stomach or the lump in your throat. You know, when I first started to say it out loud, um, it, and without being guilty or upset with myself, I'd always get that lump in my throat or that like where you couldn't really say it, you know, or the tears in the eyes, or that that tingle of regret, you know. Um and, and so so get to the point where you by yourself at home in the mirror can say, Hey, I have herpes and not be upset with yourself about it. And that's the first step in, in being able to then take who you are separate from your diagnosis. And once you begin to separate yourself again from a current tragedy, then you begin to realize that the tragedy really, it, it, it's not who you are. And so that would be my positive advice. Just get to a point where you can accept it yourself. And, 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 and part of that is being able to verbally say that out loud to yourself. And, and what that's going to allow you to do is it's going to allow you to, for one, it's going to allow you to, to disclose. You're going to be able to talk to people about it much more confidently. And I'll wrap it up with kind of a metaphor. If you were on a plane and the captain of the plane got on the interview or the intercom and started freaking out, saying, Oh my God, put your air masks on, and there's turbulence everywhere, and, and there's just crazy stuff going on, and he's like, We might crash, then everybody's going to freak out, and nobody's really going to be happy about being on that plane. But if there was turbulence, happening and the stewardess came out and calmly said hey we're having some turbulence um you know one out of every six flights has turbulence and we have a captain who knows exactly what they're doing and taking the steps to get us through the turbulence and we're going to be out of it in a couple of minutes everybody's going to remain calm and nothing's going to nothing's going to happen it's the same with you disclose if you disclose or talk to somebody about it and you're overwhelmed and you're freaking out and you're sad and you can't accept it they're going to feel that And as a result, you're going to overwhelm them, they're going to freak out, and they're not going to feel confident about your ability to even protect yourself, let alone protect them. And so, like I say, the the, the positive thing you want to do is you want to really get to a point where you can say it without it overwhelming and upsetting
0: you, and you, you get to a point where you truly accept it. So whatever you have to do to do that, that's where I would start. Man, this is why we need more of the masculine perspective on here. I've said this and I've said this a lot (laughs) and we've heard a few of our um, feminine identifying guests on here mention being able to say it to yourself. So this is a real thing, man. So when you get diagnosed, being able to tell yourself I have herpes and then removing yourself and seeing, okay, well, who am I without my diagnosis? That's important. All right, Thomas, man. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll be in touch, man. I'll definitely make sure we stay in touch. I agree, and and I'd love to talk to you more about just community activism, and and we can connect uh, on that route as well, and maybe maybe partner up on some initiatives. Absolutely. All right. right, buddy. All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please visit www.spfpp.org in order to connect with me. If you are someone who wants to contribute to the cause and you want to make a donation, there are options available on the homepage. If you want to see other episodes of the podcast, you can go through the podcast tab there and connect with us. If you want to be a guest, if you have media opportunities, Everything, every way to connect with me can be found on the website. Till next time, stay sex positive.